Hi everyone, Marty Schneider here from Breaking Mayberry. Apologies for getting this episode out a little bit late. It's even later than you realize. This episode we recorded a couple of months ago. It was supposed to be our first episode of this I Dream a Genie bottle episode series, but there were some scheduling issues that caused it to be recorded way too late, and there were some tech issues, some installation of programs, uh, some specialized audio editing, and then by the end of it we discovered that the last 20 minutes of our guest's audio were missing. So I think we got a little frustrated with it and just kind of put it on the back burner. But we did come back to it uh, and we said, okay, what's here is worth saving. So what you're listening to now is kind of the revamped. You miss kind of the ratings and the like overall synopsis, but you do get everything discussing the actual I Dream of Genie episode. And there's some good bits in there. And our guest, Stephanie Neuerberg, is a treasure. And you should definitely be listening to her podcast. Uh, the links to that are below in the notes. This is a bit of a shorter episode because I had to work some audio editing magic with it. And this is kind of the result. Thanks for sticking with us. If you want to help us out, as always, please remember to like, share, subscribe, review, tell your friends about us. That would be a great holiday treat for us. We've got a couple of episodes left in this I Dream a Genie series. Please let us know if you're enjoying it. You know, sound off with us on social media. And then we're going to go back to the Andy Griffith Show. Thank you again for sticking with us. And here is the now not lost episode of Breaking Mayberry Bottle Episodes. Hello and welcome to a special mini-series of Breaking Mayberry that we are calling Bottle Episodes. We have escaped from the black and white shackles of Mayberry and we are in glorious Technicolor, ladies and gentlemen. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Marty Schneider. I'm blinded by the light of this new vista, Dan Ludwig. This is a, a new mini-series we're taking on where we step away from the Eddie Griffith Show and we take on one of its contemporaries. We're going to be doing I Dream of Genie, And what makes this special, what makes this different than our regular show uh, is A, a different show, but also B, we're having special guests. Uh, and instead of going through each episode one by one, we're making this guest choice. So our guest today is the wonderful and talented Stephanie Neuerberg, host and producer of a podcast I absolutely love called The Saddest Case of Celibacy in the West. Stephanie, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled. <laughs> I'm going to take a moment to like sing your praises because I love, love, love your show. Oh, wow. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I, I do. But what? please... You know, promote yourself, tell our listeners what Saddest Case of Celibacy in the West is and why it has such a long title. Yes. Um, so I like to refer to it as my somewhat educational, mostly emotional podcast, which I'm not quite sure if that's a, a selling point or a turnoff quite yet for people. Um, but The Saddest Case of Celibacy in the West, it's a limited series. There's only seven episodes. The podcast chronicles the time last year I went on a month-long road trip um, across 10 different states, and I visited 15 different Wild West ghost towns. And the idea came about, um, I used to live in Seattle. When I thought of the idea, I was living in Seattle, and I was very, very unhappy. Um, and it took... As most people in Seattle are. Yes, yeah. which... Yes. Um, 
I found that out while doing some research for my podcast that Seattle is America's worst city to find love. It has been voted this two years in a row. And I just had a really hard time living there for a myriad of reasons. And so when I decided to leave, I thought, okay. I blame Frazier. <laughs> when I decided to leave, I thought, okay, I have to have something to do. And I've always loved like the American West and that part of our history. And I thought, oh, I'll go like visit some ghost towns. So I packed up my house, uh, broke up with my boyfriend and got in the car. It was a solo road trip, but I did meet up with some people on the way. So there's a lot of me kind of coming to terms with leaving this place that I lived in for so long and leaving a lot of stuff behind, but also starting that next chapter of my life. And you get to uh, hear me crying a lot. And I talk a lot about uh, American history. And um, there's just a lot of weird, cool, awesome, sad things that happen. So yeah. Marty, as someone that's listened to the podcast, how good is the crying? Oh, there's so much crying, <laughs> and, and, but it's 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 a good cry. It's a healthy cry, and like one of the reasons I love this show uh, that you put together so much is that podcasting in general as a medium is filled with irony, bros, including Dan and I. <laughs> uh, is that what like, the fuck we are? Guilty as charged, and uh, like yours is just like pure appreciation and just like a lot of vulnerability yeah and like some honesty in uh, some moments like i'm thinking i don't even know if i should be listening to this because it's really like you in a uh cabin by yourself going through all of your emotions well and i struggled a lot with that too i wasn't quite sure i i mean so much of the podcast took shape after the road trip was already over and I finished the road trip and then didn't listen to anything I had recorded and kind of just let myself say whatever I wanted to say. And then I was like, I'll deal with it later and cut it into something. And at first I thought it was going to be very cut and dry, just a lot of history and, and very informational. But over the course of it, I was like, I can't leave this stuff out. Like, it's not going to be interesting to listen to. And I struggled a lot with like, you know, in theater school, they say, don't make art your therapy. And I didn't know if that was what I was doing. And then there came a point in the podcast where I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. And this is just what it is. And this is what it's going to be. And, and I'm, I'm pretty pleased with how it came out. So on your show, you went through what did you say, 12, 15 different ghost towns? 15, Explored yeah. 15 different ghost towns in the American West. And you got to choose our I Dream of Genie episode uh, today. And you chose uh, Season 2, Episode 7, Fastest Gun in the East. The We're rudest, gonna tootinest possible episode of I Dream of Genie. <laughs> When we when you sent me the list, I went through the list, and having never seen a single episode of I Dream of Jeannie ever in my whole life, part of me was like, maybe I should start at the beginning. But when I saw that, I thought, okay, I, there's really no other option for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you did. Like, We're not trying to go through the beginning on this one like we do with the Andy Griffith Show. We right. are intentionally jumping around, uh, which is fine. Yeah, we had them put in a little bit of a weird position because on one hand, this episode rules. On the other, for like the introduction of the premise of this show, this is an episode that says, 
fuck the premise of this show <laughs> and just does a different show. So, like, yeah, we, we're, we're in a tough spot. It's very much about, like, the ramifications of dating an all-powerful being. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because- but I didn't think is... Tony liked her. It's very weird. Just from the, like, handful of episodes we've seen- it kind of seems like they're in a casual thing, and she wants it to be way more. Yeah, that's like yeah. they, they, they flirt, and like she does stuff from him, and it kind of like imply that they're hooking up. But she, he also tries to like hook up, like date other. Oh, it, clearly, proven yeah. by this yeah. episode. <laughs> and and there's a whole lot of. Uh, I really think that they're in that spot, you know, where like. Technically, we haven't talked about being monogamous, so I can date whoever I want, <laughs> and I'm just going to push that conversation off as long as I can. They're in that for, like, seven seasons. Oh, yeah. cool. That sounds like so much fun for them. <laughs> yeah, no, so basically, it's a perfect simulation of what it's like to date in your mid-twenties. I'm if living it. Seen... I don't need to watch it from an outside <laughs> So, I mean, the premise of this show sucks. Like, it's... It's an extremely bad premise that you and me were just like, oh, we'll just like hang out, talk shit on I Dream of Genie. And then every episode we've watched so far has ruled. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a very weird disconnect between like an extremely shitty premise and awesome individual episodes. I would argue that the individual episodes are good because the premise is so shitty. Uh, and I think it's because they're just like, they know that they've got a garbage idea. So they're just letting the writers have fun with it. Just like, here's this toy, play with whatever. Well, and the like, rules to the universe feel more flexible, maybe, because there's magic involved. So they can literally do whatever they want. Yeah, they play real fast and lose with everything. <laughs> the, the, the only limit to what they can do in the show is the main character not totally understanding how magic works. I was just going to say, isn't she kind of like a baby genie? She's pretty brand new. Yeah. It, the deal, her whole deal is extremely vague. Like from the Wikipedia I've read, all I know is that she was stuffed into a bottle by a guy named the Blue Raja or whatever his name was. Is she like a kid genie? Is that her deal? Well, when I was reading through some of the, the episodes, it seems like she, she doesn't know when she was born. She, when she does do magic, it doesn't quite turn out the way she wants it to. I think there was some point where she had to like go back to get training. Maybe I, I could be wrong about that. We're gonna we're gonna treat that as absolute gospel. Cool. You said it with a lot of confidence before saying that you weren't confident <laughs> in it, and I trust you. Uh, I'll read the uh, the one sentence summary from Wikipedia. Watching a TV western. Tony longs for the days when a man had to be strong to survive. Genie obliges by making him sheriff of Gopher Junction, an old western town. So this is the western episode. Uh, the plot of this is uh, Tony wishes that he could be like a western hero. Uh, and because it's been a year and a half now and he hasn't figured out that when he says stuff, Genie will do it. <laughs> he Genie transports him into a western town. And now he's sheriff, and he's wearing a bitchin' cow vest. Oh my god, I was gonna say that too. He looks incredible. <laughs> really? 
He you looks. He so? looks good. I thought he looked like an absolute <laughs> fucking goon. I mean, I think he 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 definitely does, but his outfit. That's what makes his outfit incredible. <laughs> He's basically wearing a pair of Dockers, which I find really funny. But I with, would with wear this... that vest that he's wearing. I think I'm you know looking else... for that. You know who else would wear that vest? Woody from Toy Story. Yes. <laughs> he he looks like he's at a cowboy-themed bar mitzvah. Like His hat lo- is significantly smaller than everybody else's on the episode. Yeah, it, it feels like an outfit that is meant to be very intentionally emasculating. <laughs> I think it's oh, cute. It, 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 it really is. is, though. Like, like Jeannie put him in, like, a little kid costume and said this. Because this is all stuff that she set up for him. She basically was just like, hello, welcome to Westworld. Uh, this is all for you to have your little Western playground uh, that I created for you. Because you asked for it because you were watching a, a, a Western. I was going to ask that, actually. I took some notes during the episode. That Do we think that she sent him to, like, a Westworld-type place that it's not real? Or do you think she actually went, like, boom, you're back in time? I was absolute. I was about to ask that. Like, is this... Did she send him back in time, thus altering the time stream with his bullshit? <laughs> or did she create a sub-reality where all of these people are fake humans... And he was just basically doing Westworld. I'm going to I'm going to make an argument for time travel. And that's because there is a woman who like flirts with Tony. Right. Barbara and Jeannie gets jealous. If Jeannie had created that world herself, she would not have included that character. She would not have included uh, the Maeve if we're using Westworld terms. Uh, let's let's go ahead. Let's do the first scene. The first scene the he, Tony's in like it's not really the living room. He's like up in the attic. It kind of looks like or their bedroom uh, and he's watching TV. Uh, Jeannie's getting dressed for something, and Tony says that he's watching a, a horse opera, which yeah. is a phrase for Western. Is um, it? Is that a phrase for a Western of a horse opera? Because that does not sound at all accurate. I think it sounds pretty accurate. That's what I would call I'm going to say that. Okay, I hear a horse opera, and I'm imagining an opera where everyone's on a horse. And I feel like if... Like someone showed me a western after saying that I was going to watch that, I would be furious. Dan, do yeah. you think that a soap opera is an opera where everyone's in the bathtub? <laughs> I mean, if before I knew that, if you had told me that, I would have assumed it, and then again, I would have been furious. They're like, oh, it's just a thing where everyone's having intermarital issues. I. Uh, I everyone should be in a bathtub that thing i envisioned was way better well i will say that the phrase horse opera i'm i'm looking this up as we talk horse opera hoss opera or an odor o-a-t-e-r is a western movie or television series that is cliched or formulaic oh so So he think it relies pretty heavily on that cheesy aspect of it he does call out later, like, ah, oh, this premise is hackneyed as shit. I've watched this on TV before. <laughs> He's basically kind of in that attic being a, a piece of shit. Um, where he's, like, just sitting there eating popcorn, watching TV. In his being... tiny little chair. <laughs> yeah! It's not even a good chair! <laughs> like, he's not even in a lazy boy. He's just, like, in a 
like a wicker chair. He's in if, his if, uniform in the smallest, what looks like the most uncomfortable chair in the world, like relaxing. He, it literally, it looks like a fourth grader's desk. <laughs> he does not look like he's having a good time either. He looks absolutely miserable. And he's just like shoveling popcorn into his mouth. That's why I couldn't tell where they were. Like, it looks like he's hiding in the attic. I think he's trying to get out of going to wherever it is that they're going. So, because he's like hiding up in the attic watching TV and just like... All the episodes we've watched to like prep for this, I've always had like the lingering sense of like, man, Tony fucking sucks. I hate Tony. And this was the episode where I was like, oh, I'm supposed to hate Tony. Tony (laughs) sucks like in the show. Tony wishes that uh, he lived back then when the only law and order was a marshal and men had to really be men. Boy, I wish I lived in those days. Like, how does he not get this by this point? How does yeah. he not know what's going to happen? Uh, and Suspend so she... your disbelief. <laughs> <laughs> he should have the words, don't ever say wish, tattooed on his forearm. <laughs> So, of course, Jeannie pwings. She puts her, her arms together and, like, nods, and we get a little pwing noise. And there he is in the middle of a western, almost like a shootout, or just the middle of a western town. And the bad guy immediately goes, that's a new marshal. I'm going to shoot you because you're the new marshal. He barely explains why he's going to shoot him. Like, he just appears, looks around, sees the sign for go for thing, and be like, hey! Marshall, go shoot you! And then just, like, it immediately cuts to the credits. But he just, like, looks at the guy and be like, I think you might be the Marshall. I'm gonna just, to be safe, gun you down in the streets. Well, it also seems counterintuitive. Like, if you are a bad man, wouldn't you not want to get involved with the Marshall? Yeah! Like, they're going to send another Marshall. You could, like, at least get yourself some lead time in between the guy having to figure out who the hell you are. In fact, don't they say, like, right after the title sequence, don't they explain that, like, the last eight marshals have been shot? Yeah. And all their names are crossed out on that little <laughs> sign outside the jail. It's really funny, honestly. <laughs> like, the first thing I would do is the new marshal be like, all right, the guy who is very clearly murdering all the marshals, I'm just going to shoot him before introducing myself and then probably go from there. Like, he's not being subtle. He's just kind of committing serial murder in the middle of town. Uh, and his name is Bull, right? Yeah, that's the bad guy, Bull. Uh, and they're about to start a shootout, but then this fancy dude in a top hat, in a bitchin' purple top hat, hat runs out. And he's this like, Willy Wonka-ass motherfucker. <laughs> and he's just like, no, how dare you? You can't do that. You have to, like... Uh, you have to show some respect. We're going to grow into a proper city. So this is Horace Sedgwick. He's the town banker. And he's the guy that's there to, like, introduce all of the rules, I guess, or introduce the setting. Uh, well, and he's, he's the guy to show up and definitely not be the bad guy. To just be the super trustworthy guy that you don't suspect. Wink. I think there's a really good bit of acting that that character does when he's talking to bull he at one point he tells him to beat it like to get out of there and i was watching that i was like shit that is so good like really good foreshadowing (laughs) and yeah like and it's so small and it's so tiny and i just thought that was some really good acting there (laughs) 
everyone in this episode is definitely like playing a like they're playing a character being a character like they're like he's no yeah. one is playing like a straight person they're all playing an archetype as big as possible like the guy that plays bull is definitely being like almost a, a pastiche of western bad guys and he's definitely being like the villain like he's being the trustworthy villain and he's doing such a like everyone in this is killing it just by being so big and over the top and it contrasts really well with how Tony is just being a guy. Uh, but it definitely, it does feel like, it doesn't feel like Tony has gone back in time. It feels like Tony has gone into a TV show. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. And everyone's like super, like they lean into the cliches. Mm-hmm. And it becomes one of those bits where, like 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 Hot Fuzz, where it's a parody of this thing this genre that was popular but it's such a good parody that it's actually kind of a good western tv episode in and of itself yeah <laughs> i would watch this western tv episode i would my eyes would glaze over the entire time but i'd have a good time uh after the guy like almost shoots tony and the banker introduces himself like the banker just kind of like scolds the ruffians and says like D- dictate yourself properly like you need to behave better and they're like all right dad he should be the marshal he really should he basically is performing marshal duties well i'm, just, I'm like, also surprised that he doesn't take up that role i mean not to spoil anything but <laughs> knowing what he takes later in the show that that's just not the but then we would have no episode so yeah, right, forget right. it. <laughs> Stephanie, Stephanie, overthinking, overthinking the details of this is what this entire podcast is based on. So, right. like, <laughs> yeah, the words, but then there would be no show or our kryptonite. That's like that's like pouring sunlight on vampires. You can't do that. Uh, yeah. So they start going to Tony's office, and they weirdly notice that there's a horse following them. Uh, which is never totally explained. They're just like, there's a horse following us. That's weird. I was like, is the horse going to turn out to be Genie? But no, there's no payoff on that. They're just like, got a horse. This is weird. All right, anyway, back to the episode. There's Uh, also a really funny bit where uh, Tony goes to shake hands with Horace, but he's very unclear or he's very uncomfortable with his, his outfit, and he accidentally pulls out his gun. And tries to shake Horace's hand with a gun. Yeah. And he puts it away immediately. And I, I laughed at that. I, I wondered, how is that funny after I've watched Barney Fife do pretty much the exact same fucking shtick <laughs> over and over and over again? And I think it's because Tony looked very, like, genuinely embarrassed that he yeah. done it. <laughs> no, it's that the act, like, everyone in this is a much better actor than what we've been dealing with. Where you actually feel like they are experiencing human emotions like shame and embarrassment and hope it's uh it's it's really weird again it feels like uh like being in a whole new world after two seasons of the andy griffith show uh which this was no time apart like this was on top of that show and it's so much better so they go they go to the jail uh where the marshal's supposed to be 
and there's this guy in the jail, and his name is Eddie Sheridan, and there he's screaming, they're gonna lynch me! He's accused of shooting a rancher and his wife while stealing their cattle, and they're gonna take him over to a prison in Kansas City, but Eddie's like, I'm not making it to that prison. They're gonna break in here, and they're gonna kill me. They're setting up a, a lynch mob right now. And uh, he, you like, gotta protect points me. to a thing where they're literally erecting a... <laughs> A fucking gallows. Yeah. Casually, right outside his window, so he can supervise the whole thing. Yeah, no, like, he's, it's, it's really great, because Tony is like, alright, prove they're going to lynch you. He's like, construction! They're, like, they're putting more effort into this than anyone has ever put into a lynching. I, I mean, it seems like Gopher Junction has been around for a long time. You'd think they'd already have that set up. But I can't like think they, about it too hard, so... Nope. No, 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 no. Think about it too hard. Like, <laughs> they've never needed to hang a guy. There's literally like, 10 it's... marshals died before Tony got there, and they've never needed to hang anyone ever. Yeah, they didn't even try to kill a guy for this. It was the Old West. They killed guys for anything. <laughs> if the if the first episode of Deadwood, which I've watched four times, has taught me anything, they hang you for cattle rustling. At this point, it basically becomes the plot of 310 to Yuma. Yeah. Uh, Eddie's like, you gotta protect me and get me on that uh, wagon so I can get to the prison in Kansas City. Uh, He also says that he was framed. He's just passing through. He mentions that he was framed by the Unholy Ten, who are taking up the territory. Uh, Which is such a good gang name. It's so good. It's so good. really is. And they have, not to, like, to jump ahead and spoil it, but they have such cool masks. Like, they have little domino masks on when they show up. They only show three of them at most, which makes yeah. it so much funnier that they're called the Unholy Ten. <laughs> like, what? They could be That's the true. Unholy Three. Don't worry. There's seven of them <laughs> off frame doing bad things. The next scene is... uh Tony goes to the saloon. There's this very weird little man who's laughing outside. <laughs> Just cackling. Like, it's really weird. It feels like something out of Twin Peaks. Suddenly, Jeannie appears uh, as a, like, waitress uh, at the saloon. Oh, uh, you know. Marty, she's a prostitute. Okay. <laughs> yeah, man, how are you th- How are you um, in your 30s and this naive, man? I... <laughs> I, I was hoping that the quotation marks around waitress came through in my voice. <laughs> did you but do, like, the little air quotes with your hands? I did. Okay, well, you know. yeah, you should have done them harder. So that they were picked up by my microphone. I also don't totally believe you, you poor, naive boy. <laughs> I found it very interesting that the marshal was hanging out with, was seen hanging out with, a saloon girl seems very scandalous to me, but now if the four, if the first episode of Deadwood has taught me anything, <laughs> the only episode of Deadwood I've seen, uh, that was totally cool. Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went to Deadwood on my road trip. Oh shit, really? Yeah, it was. Um, it's kind of lame to be honest. Was Timothy Oliphant not there? He was not there, much to our chagrin. Um, Ah. And it's, like, mostly casinos and gift stores with very uh, conservative uh, memorabilia, if you will. Ah, that is disappointing. I feel like that should be a neutral ground ideologically. 
That, that should... is nothing sacred. It is South Dakota. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's depressing. <laughs> so so Jeannie reappears as a saloon girl. And I'll be honest, at this point, I had kind of forgotten that Jeannie was in this show. I was kind of expecting that she would never show up again. I and did it would just too, be yeah. The, yeah, there would just be the adventures of Tony. And then she'd show up at the end and be like, you have fun? But no, she rolls in. I've found in the couple of episodes I've watched that this seems to be a common thing, is that Jeannie is used as a plot device. And at first I was like, this is kind of terrible. She's not really a great character. They use her as a plot device. But then once they've established that plot, they bring her back to mess with some more stuff and give her some more stuff to do. And that's kind of her role in this. She shows up. She's like, okay, well, have you had your fun? You ready to go home? And Tony says, no. I want to see this out. I want to stay until 6 o'clock, because 6 o'clock is when the the stagecoach is supposed to arrive. Uh, So he's going to stick around to see how this thing plays out. Uh, And it's kind of a a running gag that Jeannie's already figured everything out, and she's already knows everything. And Tony keeps saying, no, don't tell me. I want to figure it out myself. Like he's doing a crossword puzzle. (laughs) It's really like a, a weird... Not inversion, but sort of take on the behind every great man is a woman that uh, uh, is is a woman. But it's like behind every great man dances in the palm of a woman goddess. <laughs> like his he it's definitely like a statement on fragile masculinity. But like everything he has as a man is allowed by her. Like, the second she stops supporting him, he immediately becomes just impotent. That that happens in this scene. Uh, He gets into a fight with some guys uh, who challenge him to a shot, or tell him to a shootout, basically. And then they just start shooting bottles in the middle of the bar. What a waste. They just start shooting just to, like, (laughs) prove how awesome they are. And they're like, hey, man, can you do that? Because if you can't do that, you better run. Jeannie, like, makes him an incredible shot. She blinks, so she he kicks ass. I don't... Did they not teach him how to fire a gun in the Air Force? Yeah, what? he's in the military, and he's so bad at guns. That's... That's, like, thing one. To that- be fair, they probably didn't teach him how to shoot an 1800 six-shooter, but, you know. But he is a very bad shot. Like, an almost comically bad... No, an actual comically bad shot. It is a funny show. He's he's incompetent, and it rules. He sucks absolute shit at everything he does or tries to do. So Jeannie does make him an incredible shot, but then in a couple of minutes, she's going to get mad at him and take that power away from him. And so then he's going to become a lousy shot. And they do this amazing thing where, like, every time he shoots something and misses, like... It zooms in and, like, takes a picture just about, like, he shoots at the glass, but he misses, zooms in, glass is still there, shoots at a bottle and misses, zooms in, bottle still get there. It's like, it's like the 60s Batman's pow, bang, yeah. except to show you that nothing had happened. <laughs> and his facial expression is like if he pissed himself. Like, the guy who plays Tony is absolutely killing it in just, like, the look of shame and impotence and embarrassment. Like, fuck, he sells how much this guy sucks so what? bad. He wheels back and forth so quickly between, like, I am the most confident man in the world to yeah. then, like, Jeannie, please help me. Yeah, yeah no, when he, he when he's riding high, he, like, 
John Wayne so well. And then he, like, within a second just goes, like, Genie? Genie? Like, really, the moment anyone challenges him. Yeah. Like, it's so good at, like, everything he is is just due to her. Like, he, he has, I think he has only one real accomplishment that is directly attributed to him in this entire show. And it's just not being a coward. Well, still having an omnipotent god uh, in his corner, he just doesn't run away. And that's basically the only thing he does right in this entire episode. I mean, the show does start off with him in outer space, Dan. So, he, he have you been to outer space, Dan? If someone would let me, I could. <laughs> I wouldn't be too much of a coward to do that. I feel like it doesn't look hard. I'd rather go to outer space than go to the bottom of the ocean. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, in terms of places I'm scared to go, I'm much more scared of the ocean than I am of space. Like, the ocean has a million things that could kill you and poison you and stab you or just, (laughs) in a million. In space, you just have the unbearable nothingness and floating away forever with your own thoughts. Which is, like, basically what I'm doing on Earth right now, so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ew. But yeah, down there you got squids, you got octopi, you got abyss monsters. Uh, you 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 don't want to be down there. And like worst like best case scenario, dying down there, you drown, which seems like it sucks. So yeah, definitely like if you die in space, you get to explode, which is so much better. So Tony's not really that brave. Fuck you, Tony. <laughs> yeah yeah fuck you tony we're stepping up also just kind of like throwing it out there fuck you astronauts yeah fuck astronauts (laughs) you ain't shit coming out real hard against astronauts on this show all right think you're better than us just because you've seen the world from space fuck you i can do that with a satellite you assholes we all know that astronauts had nothing to do with the creation of satellites (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they've been redundant since we invented those is tony like a real astronaut though that's that's kind of a vague question but i the, mean, the fact that that is his job on this show is so like come on you couldn't have given him like a, a more real job than an, i've never met an astronaut i don't even I know, know if they really it's, exist it's also 1964 right yeah. so like we are we are super preoccupied with astronauts and beating the russians oh, right now that makes so they sense. were yeah they, they were just like what's the coolest job we can give this guy <laughs> i mean so it feels like they did not think out him being an astronaut because every episode i've watched it's been like i genie i have to go to work to do astronaut things (laughs) like they definitely like came up with it as a reason why he's on the desert island and then when the show got picked up we're like fuck his job is literally a thing that requires him to not be here like but the only thing he can easy knowing that most people don't know what an astronaut does like on a daily basis, at le- or at least don't understand it. It's not. It's 1964. Like astronauts have only existed for like five <laughs> yeah. years. You could be like, I'm an astronaut. I need to go do my laser research, and pe- people in the 60s would be like, Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds <laughs> that tracks. Being an astronaut then was like being an entrepreneur now. It means nothing <laughs> and everything at the same time. Uh, yeah, it's just like, 
I run a B2B SEO solutions company, and everyone just, like, nods and smiles. Uh, yeah, okay, so where the fuck are we in this show? Uh, so, the Unholy Ten, they're taking over the entire territory. They're, uh, going from ranch to ranch, they're running people off their land so that they can take it over. Uh, basically, they make you an offer, and if you don't take it, they're going to destroy you. Like they did the people that uh, Eddie has been accused of murdering. There's a, a funny bit where uh, once Tony puts this together, he says, um, well, what do they want that land for? The highway won't be here for another hundred years. <laughs> and he figures out that it's like, oh, yeah, the railroad is coming through that they want the right of way. And they go, how did you know that? He goes, I watched a lot of television. He, <laughs> do, he, he does the Marty McFly bit. Yeah. Um, the, the end of the saloon scene happens like they don't get into a fight with the ruffian because the bank guy's like, hey, it's six o'clock. The, it's six o'clock. We're uh, we're overdue for a lynching. Uh, hi, did uh, uh, we heard that you ordered a lynching service for six o'clock? Uh, so everybody Guys, runs outside. Guys, you don't want to be late for the lynching. Come on. Like, you want to be the last person at the lynching. I mean, they were pretty social activities back then. Uh, you you had poker and murder <laughs> and, I guess, feeding corpses of people you'd murder to pigs. Again, I'm going off of the first episode of Deadwood. Uh, yeah, if, if you don't get to the lynching early... Then number one, you miss all the trailers for the upcoming movies. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> and then you gotta sit up at the front and your neck winds up hurting, but not as much as that guy's, am I right? Hey. Marty, I am so excited to sit down with you tomorrow and decide whether or not we have to edit out all the fucking lynching jokes. <laughs> That's gonna be so fun. Uh, uh do we mention so- that Eddie's a white man? Uh, yeah we should definitely clarify that but at that point tony's like well i'm gonna stop this from happening i gotta get a posse who wants to be in my posse and there's nobody in the bar but this old drunk guy yeah it's Uh, really good like way to use the camera to tell a joke also i just want to say before we move on from the saloon scene when bull comes back and he's like okay you outshot me before with your magic genie lady to make your all your shots perfect uh, I bet you can't do that again, and it's gonna absolutely suck. He got so lucky, like, that he managed to call that shit the moment that, uh, Eddie's sister came in and started kissing Tony and Jeannie got jealous. Like, he really went out on a limb there and could have just been embarrassed much more deeply in front of everybody. Uh, but yeah, okay, so, uh, nobody's there, they storm off. Uh, outside, a lynching is happening. Tony goes out and he tries to, like, calm them down. He suggests everybody gets a good night, goes home and gets a good night rest. Uh, then he says that he's going to report them to the FBI. Yeah! It's such a weird move! No, he doesn't say he's going to report them to the FBI. He's like, alright, everyone go home. And then he's like, so, do you know what the FBI is? And he's just like, the what? And then he runs away, like, but what was the plan there? Because it's the FBI. It's not like he's going to investigate whether or not they're doing a lynching. It's like they're doing it. Do you, it would have made sense if he was like, do you know what the U.S. military is? Because I'm going to call them and they're going to shoot you. The FBI is such a weird pull to make. So he goes inside, right? He, he like dives inside. 
Honestly, let's just skip to the part of this scene that I really like. That I'm, I'm just going to jump ahead because they get into a, a shootout, basically, trying to get Tony and the prisoner Eddie out and Eddie's sister so that they can lynch him. Uh, and then Tony gets his way out of this episode, or Tony gets his way out of this situation by wishing for tear gas grenades. <laughs> So he just says, I wish I had some tear gas. And Jeannie's like, okay. And he just, boom, grenades appear. In like a very period appropriate container, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's like a wooden crate. Yeah. (laughs) The best is that Jeannie's like, hey, do you want me to use magic to make them all go away? And then Tony says, no, no, I want to handle this myself. I wish I had tear gas. Boink, tear gas. All right, awesome. Look at me, handling this myself with my not-at-all-period-appropriate weaponry. Hell yeah. Look at me so independent and masculine. I don't know if they're doing this on purpose, that, like, his big masculine hero moment is just him cheating, but it's so good. Oh, doesn't he throw a, uh... A tear gas canister, but it like bounces back into there, yeah, into the box, and yet it takes significantly longer for that one to diffuse as it did the ones that they threw previously. <laughs> yeah, even having cheat codes, he still <laughs> manages to fuck up and almost tear gas himself. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and change my vote from earlier i think this is absolutely a westworld situation because otherwise tony would be completely dead right yeah. it's gotta be and yeah, i feel like that, no one really notices genie's magic either at least until the very end and it's also like that's why genie knows everything that's already like because she's already written out the storyline in advance i mean go for what is it go for creek Go for Junction. Go for Junction. Oh, yeah, that sounds so much even more fake. It is the most, like, simulation town name ever. Fucking Disneyland-ass name. Yeah. Not very farm back room. Welcome to Go for uh, Junction. If you come this way, you can see our animatronic bears. They play the banjo. <laughs> it still goes okay, uh, but then they find out that the Unholy Ten are out rustling cattle again. Uh, there's a bit where uh, Tony tries to get Jeannie to ride on a horse, but she's afraid of horses, so she turns it into a donkey. I thought for a second we were going to get a camel. Yeah. I thought that like, too. I was hoping that. Because Jeannie says, like, uh, I'm I'm afraid of horses. Back home, all we've ever ridden were camels. And he's like, come on, man, we got to do this. So Jeannie says, okay. And she blinks, and then she says, I'm not afraid of donkeys, which is... Okay, it's pretty funny, but I thought for a second we were gonna get a camel. I'm yeah. guessing camel was not in the budget. Camel was definitely in the script, though. They definitely wrote in a camel, and they were yeah. like, we can't afford a fucking camel. <laughs> Tony's it, such a piece of shit about it, too. She's like, I had a really traumatic incident happen with a horse, and he's like, I don't care, I don't care. You're Fuck off, your feelings are, can, can wait until later. A man's Give, life is at stake. I don't blame uh, Tony for that. Well, a man's fictitious life, a man's <laughs> simulated life is at stake. Yeah, Tony doesn't know that. But that's if, the debate, right? Like, is it real? Is it not real? Just because they're robots, like, don't they have feelings? But also, if the guy dies, he can just have Genie bring him back to life. Like, he's none of this 
I mean, it is kind of the thing of like he he, he forgets that he has the powers of a god. Basically, he doesn't die. Are he just wakes up from a dream. Powers, <laughs> is she capable of doing something like that? I haven't seen like any limitation to what she's capable of. Like as, from what I've watched, there's never been a point of his him being like, "I want you to do this," and her being like, "I can't do that." Well, I'm thinking think... about the only other genie that I'm familiar with, which is the genie from Aladdin. And right. he's a, he has rules. Can't make anyone fall in love. Can't bring anyone back from the dead. Um, there's another rule, but I don't remember what it is. He also uh, no, tries no to have sex for no his master a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no wishing for more wishes. Yeah, that's the yeah. other rule. Maybe she's operating on Aladdin rules. So in, in which case, yes, this is serious. And yeah, she should get over it and get on the horse. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I think I'm leaning towards it's a simulation that just kind of gets away from her for a minute. Or no, maybe, maybe the, she knew that the sister was going to come up and hit on Tony, but just his reaction to that wasn't enough for her. She was like, Mm. you weren't supposed to be so into it when this old timey lady came up and started hitting on you. You were supposed to tell her to fuck off. That's what I'm mad about. Yeah. Solid, solid plan. All right, so so we're all agreeing this is a Westworld scenario. Yes. It's definitely a Westworld scenario. We're Westworld. And- okay, so to be clear, this means that Genie has the ability to create a pocket dimension, create a simulation of human life? Genie has the power to create the Matrix, essentially. Basically, like beings that think and feel and have hopes and dreams and fear death. She can just kind of like make those... It also might all be in Tony's head. Like, the, he, she could just be creating, like, hallucinations for Tony. If it is time travel, then it is inexcusable that they have not killed Hitler. Like, then, then you just run into that of, like, like, they haven't gone to stop World War II or anything like that. They just went and did a Western. It's got to be a simulation. Tony's or... so busy with the lasers, though. <laughs> he's, he's got so much NASA to do. <laughs> and I will say, not to jump ahead until the end of the episode, but he it does kind of set it up as if he is waking up from a dream. Right. And, and yeah. then as he's walking out, he's wearing those cowboy boots. But I will say, it's easier. I don't know if, if her magic, if it would be easier to create Westworld or put a dream in Tony's head and then, you know, magically give him a new pair of shoes. Uh, as far as I can tell, the actual Westworld, from the several episodes of Westworld I've watched, <laughs> <laughs> it's both. Tony asks Jeannie to stop the stampede. And instead of stopping the stampede, she just kind of puts the stampede in a completely different direction. Which so... is like literally, <clears throat> I think they just flip the frame. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So not only are so, the cows running in a different direction, but the trees are also facing a different direction. <laughs> so cut to that happening. And then we see the, like, unholy three wearing the the, the masks. Uh, Stephanie, you said you wanted to say oh, something about the masks. It's such a good bit when they are, like, watching the cows running in the opposite direction. But they have to take the masks off with in order to see the cows better. <laughs> The masks have eye holes in them and are quite small, actually, but they still need to take them off to get a better look at those cows. I did laugh very loudly at that. It's it's the old-timey equivalent of taking your glasses off to show how dramatic something is. Yeah, to- absolutely. 
Also, I mean, I will say this. I kind of noticed this during uh, the second watch of it. Those eye holes do not line up with their eyes even a little bit. <laughs> like, they're getting maybe 30% of the eye with that placement. Like, some like intern just like took a, a piece of scissors to some felt real fast and just threw them to them. Maybe the Unholy Ten keep all of their masks in a bag and they just grab them at random. So... Maybe they fit other and, people, just not those three. <laughs> and they have, like, a wide variety of head spacing. Like, <laughs> there's there's one member of the Unholy Ten we're not seeing that's basically a flounder. Like, those <laughs> things are just, like, fully, like, on the side of his head. Let's go ahead and call out the problem with all domino masks. You can see their entire face. Yeah. <laughs> you can yeah. see everything. It covers nothing. I can't see fucking little eye bikinis. (laughs) (laughs) When you try to pick them out of the line, like, well, I mostly looked at the bridge of their nose, so I I got nothing. Can can you have number three hold up his hands in little circles like he's got little binoculars on? Oh yeah, that's it. It's number three. It's number three. (laughs) I have I have face blindness except for eyebrows, so this is going to be real bad for me. Genie stops the stampede. By the way, the Unholy Ten, we're going to do a stampede, I guess. A cattle stampede. Uh, and uh, the bad guy says, I think the marshal had something to do with this. Which is uh, crazy to me. How could yeah. the marshal control a stampede of cows? <laughs> yeah, the one guy is just like, okay, guys, so, like, follow me here. I think the marshal might be a living guy. I think. <laughs> you know what we should do? Shoot him with guns. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, that, he just basically goes to that, like, I think the marshal can control cows with his mind, and boy, howdy, am I pissed off. Checks out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is, in fairness, the kind of jump that people back then would make. They would just be like, all right, boys, looks like we got a witch marshal on our hands. You know how it is. Let's go shoot him in the street. But again, it, it brings up the question, like, do they realize that Jeannie has magic? Because I think if they had been noticing her magic before that point, it does make sense to kind of draw a line between those two points of, like, weird things have been happening around the marshal, weird things happening with these cows. But up until this point, they have not noticed her magic. There's, yeah, no one at any point when an extremely illogical thing has happened has been like, Whoa! What? No! Like, a horse turned into a donkey and no one fainted. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's just like, chill. Like, was that always a donkey? All right. A donkey is following us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So the rustlers return to town, uh, and they're ready for a big-ass shootout. And they've got sniper positions. They call them out. Uh, and there's this wonderful gag where, like, they cut to one guy, and he's got a rifle, and he's up in the, the rafters, and he's gonna shoot. And they cut to another guy who's on the other side of town and in a balcony. And they cut to Jeannie, who is on top of a roof eating popcorn. Oh, it's such <laughs> It's <insane>. hilarious. <laughs> See, Barbara, like, Barbara Eden gets 100% of the credit for how good this scene is, because... She just acts her fucking face off in it. Yeah. Like, she is so whimsical and delightful in this hard-boiled, gritty scene. It's so good. And then she bugs bunnies the entire thing. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, because, no. So, like, she literally, like, thwarts it with, like, Looney Tunes era antics. So they take up sniper positions for this shootout. Bull calls out Tony. Um, and basically, Jeannie rigs the whole thing where, um, she makes it so that Bull can't get his gun out of his holster. When one of the snipers tries to shoot Tony, his gun turns to rubber. Which, also with, like, 1960s special effects, I don't totally know how they did that. Because, like, the gun goes from solid to rubber, like, on camera. I was wondering that, too. Yeah. And the other one, the guy tries to shoot a gun, and it does that thing where, like, the barrel explodes, and it, like, blooms like a flower, kind of. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's got, like, a little dandelion gun now. Yeah, it's so good. How the fuck did they do the gun to rubber thing? Because this does not look like they had very much of a budget. I wonder maybe if the in oh, see, I'm trying to think of there is a specific toy where you can kind of like press a trigger and it's made out of lots of different little blocks and there's a string in the middle and when you press the trigger like the string tightens. You you you, you mean like those uh those like giraffes or whatever yeah, that yes. fall down? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So maybe that's sort of what I mean. That's the only thing that I could possibly think of it being. the The only other thing is like the way they did all of Genie's magic, which was stop filming. You hold very, very, very still. <laughs> We're gonna put this rubber gun in there. Okay, okay. Don't move. Don't even. Don't even breathe, Bill. And start filming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the show was. I swear to God, if you move, you'll never work in this town again. <laughs> that's the end of the shootout like bull's gun doesn't work and so uh, he he finally gets the gun out and starts shooting at tony and genie makes all the bullets like miss him while tony just like takes his gun out and slow terminator walks towards bull uh and then genie gives him the power to shoot out to shoot off bull's hat gun and pants and yeah, then he arrests Bull and does sort of like a parlor room detective thing. Uh, where he, but it's a really shitty version of it where he like almost accuses the wrong guy because he's like literally piecing it together as he's talking. And Jeannie's like, I know, I know, I know the answer. No, shut up, Jeannie. Let me do it. Come on. He's such like, he's like a teenager. It's like it's... a little brother. He's a little brother whining that he has to be Luigi. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's definitely like, like he, he talks like he's just come in and be like, "Mom says you need to find a game that's two player." <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's yeah. He basically says like, "Let me do it. Stop it. Come on." Um, and then barely solves this incredibly obvious mystery. So yes, it was the banker she who was behind the unholy ten, putting all them up to it, and. Uh, as if you needed some evidence, Bull's just like, yeah, he fucking did it. Bull rats him out immediately. <laughs> Turns out the guy who was telling these criminals what to do was the guy who the criminals listened to all the time. And then the stinger is that Tony wakes up back in the attic room in his tiny, tiny chair. Uh, and he tells Jeannie, like, oh, man, I had a crazy dream. I was in a was in a thing. I, I don't know, it, was, it was a dream. And then she goes, was it? And it zooms in, and he's wearing cowboy boots with spurs. Wacky! Um, so, I mean, it, it's entirely possible that, like, Jeannie just, like, fucked with him in his dreams. That's possible, too. She's in his head. 
that's an entire possible uh, scenario as well. I mean, can we talk about real quick the fact that dating Genie would in fact be terrifying? Like, she's, she's either able to travel back in time, create alternate realities, or go into your dreams and change what happens in them. The ultimate oh. gaslight. Yeah! yeah. She has yeah. complete control over time, space, and your mind. She's and... Freddy Krueger. Yeah! She's... <laughs> She's like a benevolent, sexy Freddy Krueger. <laughs> She's Betty Krueger. Nice! Yeah. I like it. Uh, I, th- yeah. I, think, I think it comes out to like an X-Men thing, like uh, like a Scott Summers thing. Like, why are you dating a psychic and why are you cheating on your girlfriend that can read minds with another woman that can read minds? You know, that kind of deal. Like, just just don't. That's just it's stuff you don't want to get involved in. Yeah. Maybe we've just been misreading the show this entire time and it's really supposed to be proof that Tony is trapped in this mega abusive relationship. But we're like, it's so cute and there's magic. A little bit. This does now you're not... getting the hang of the show, Stephanie. <laughs> this now you're does... getting it. This does not feel like a healthy relationship. It is extremely one-sided. He does not seem to totally consent to it. He does. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just backpedal on that. He doesn't really seem to be consenting at all. He does not seem into it. He's just kind of going along with it because the she's a god. Right. And can destroy him at any moment or like go back in time and make it so he was never born. It's he's like he lives in fear of his live-in girlfriend. Do it's, people yeah. in his life think that she's his girlfriend or does he say like oh no like we're not together? There is one episode that uh that we I we watched that uh, has her basically go to all of his friends and say that uh, she's his fiance. Oh, okay. And then he go- yeah, he has to go through elaborate means to explain that he is not getting married. Uh, she he also like I think has a fiance in like the first season that she destroys. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and and he does have a best friend who knows what the deal is. He does have a friend who knows that she's. A genie. I'm a genie in a bottle, baby. Come, come, come on and let me out. So that's it. That is sort of what we have of the audio of the quote-unquote lost episode of Breaking Mayberry Bottle Episodes. Next week we'll be back with a regular episode that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And uh, until then, thank you again for listening. Thank you again to Stephanie Neuerberg for coming onto the show. Thanks for bearing with us. We appreciate you all. And remember, you cannot put the genie back in the bottle.